Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about work, motherhood, and the grace we need for both. We are making and being made. Come join us. Hello, friends. You are listening to episode 81 of Kindled, and I'm your host, Haley Williams. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Ann Kennedy. Anne is a writer and she blogs over at pathios.com. She has a blog there called Preventing Grace. And I first learned of Anne Kennedy and kind of her expertise in commenting on some of what is going on today in the world of Christian culture through the podcast of someone that I really admire and enjoy listening to, Alisa Childers who actually happens to be a member of the former band Zoe Girl, which if you are anywhere near my age, maybe you also listened to them in high school and were obsessed. I actually saw them at Rock the Light one year. It was this local concert in Kansas City, and it was amazing. Okay, but I digress. So Ann Kennedy has really dived deep into the world of the theology of several very influential women who are kind of part of popular quote-unquote Christian culture, um, Rachel Hollis being one of them. And so I wanted to chat with Anne about the theology of Rachel Hollis because her theology, if you can say she has such a thing, is, is both informed by and informing many of the popular Christian messages, and I say quote-unquote Christian messages, that we are hearing today. Many of them stem from the progressive Christianity movement, and many are ones she has simply borrowed from others. But either way, when you have an author who has sold over a million copies of her words, and her message is in the eyes and ears of so many American women, I think it's important that we take a pause and ask, why is this resonating? What about her views and the message that she is sharing from her platform are so incredibly attractive to women across our country and across the globe? If we can't look at our culture critically and dissect the truth from the lies, we're in big trouble. We as women, and especially as mothers, have the responsibility of also raising the next generation to know and understand truth. And so we need to be able to look at what any one person is saying, whether that person is on social media and is an influencer or is your neighbor across the fence. And we need to be able to seek to understand what they are saying to us in light of the truth and in light of scripture. So that's the heart behind today's episode. It's not to point out anything in particular about Rachel herself or to condemn her as a person, uh, not to judge her on outward appearances as the world would have us do, but rather as John 7.24 says, to judge rightly the things that she said according to scripture and whether they align or do not align with the word of God. So let's jump in to today's episode. And welcome to Kindled. Thank you. It's great to be here. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, could you introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us who you are and a little bit about your family? I live in upstate New York. I have six children. I'm more known, I guess, for my blogging. I blog all the time at Patheos. And my husband and I are Anglicans. We're in a, a small Anglican church here. My husband is the main pastor. And we have lived here for about 17 years, but we're not 
from New York. So we're still out of fish out of water, even although it's getting harder and harder for me to say that since, you know, 17 years is a long time. So, right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So six, six kids, what's the like oldest to youngest age span there? The oldest is 17. She's going to be a junior in high school this year. And the youngest is eight. So we had them, you know, in a decade and yeah, kind of did that really fast. And now I'm trying to figure out who I am, <laughs> right. my new, my new world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you've got everybody are everybody's school age. So I don't know what that looks like for your school year. Are they homeschooled or in, in a school? What, what's that look like? We homeschool. Well, we, I'm really homeschooling the, the youngest too, and everybody else is in a really great online school, mm-hmm. but it is a lot of juggling and managing and making mm-hmm. people show up to class and yeah. feeding people all day. Cause we're here all day long together. Oh, right. So right. I was homeschooled through sixth grade. So I, I know a little bit about that. Yeah. When the kitchen is always open, my mom used to be like, the kitchen is closed. <laughs> Leave yeah. the kitchen, get out. Right. <laughs> Stop eating. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. So I am really grateful that you're making the time in your busy schedule in life to chat with me. I first heard you on a Elisa Childers podcast talking about Rachel Hollis and her theology and beliefs. And so I was obviously just really intrigued by the fact that there was someone who seemed to be kind of, you know, well-versed or had actually studied Rachel's theology because it is such, I mean, she's obviously very popular. She's so, I mean, I think she's over a million book sales for sure by now with both Girl Wash Your Face and Girl Stop Apologizing. And, you know, it's just something that comes up a lot for us as women. We are, who are in the online space, who are on Instagram or even just somehow connected to the internet, you're going to have a hard time not running into some of her teachings and some of the things that she has kind of put out there into the world. So I wanted to take the time to do this because, and let me say what this is, what we're going to be doing is going and examining the worldview and the theology and the thinking of Rachel Hollis. So it's you and I both know we're, we're not ascribing intent to her as a person or like what she's after or anything like that, talking about her personally, but rather based on what is she saying, what can we derive? She does, she believe, you know, and then how does that inform whether we can trust those things that she's saying, her advice, her philosophies, her teachings, or whether they do not align with a biblical worldview. So that's kind of the point. Anything you want to add to that? No, that's great. I think she's a really interesting person. As a person who's online a lot, I've been interested in how well she handles media. So aside from the theological questions, I think she's a really interesting public figure. And I'm I'm impressed with how she's built an empire for herself. And so, you know, I, I think she's, she's worth the time and the study to understand where we are culturally and, you know, what it is that she's saying that's so interesting right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. There's a reason that her books are flying off the shelves. There's a reason women all over the world are just drinking in the things they're hearing from her. And that does tell us something about the moment we're in, in, in history, So we can get into some of that. Okay, so getting right into it, what can you tell us about her religious background and kind of where she comes from? She's from Southern California. She grew up 
near Bakersfield in a little tiny town called Weed Patch. Her father was a Pentecostal preacher. I, I was never able to determine if he had a lot of training mm-hmm. for that and, and what his pastoral duties might have been beyond, you know, Sunday morning preaching. So she grew up in the Pentecostal charismatic world, and that certainly informed, I think, her worldview in terms of what you could expect from God and, you know, what kind of things you should be interested in. Mm-hmm. She left home early on at 19. Her parents did not have a good marriage and her brother committed suicide. So she found him, her older brother. So she was quite young when that happened and it was, it was very traumatic. So she, she left home as soon as she could and went to LA and got a job for, with Miramax. <laughs> and uh, met her husband. And she is a churchgoer. She and her husband are members of where they were. They've moved to Austin. So I'm not sure what their church affiliation is now, but they, they it sounds like they went to some sort of, you know, generic run-of-the-mill evangelical, probably more charismatic church. And that's pretty much the extent of her, you know, biblical religious background that she talks about in her books themselves. So yeah. she invokes, she invokes, she names Jesus mm-hmm. here and there, but she doesn't really say a lot theologically about what she believes in particular about him or who he is or what he does. Right. And we should say, you know, that's not the point of Girl, Wash Your Face or Girl, Stop Apologizing. Neither one of them claims to be a work of theology or great depth in that sense. So we know that, you know, we're not trying to make it something that it isn't, but The fact is that, you know, regardless of whether someone claims that anything they're doing is theological, uh, we are all theologians, you know, and we all have some worldview that we are working from in terms of, you know, what do we believe is the chief end of man? What do we believe is the purpose? Why are we here? How do we achieve happiness? How, How, what's the greatest good? You know, all of these things that are kind of these worldview questions, somebody, you know, everybody still has to have an answer for that. And everyone does, even if they don't claim to. So I think that's important to mention. Yes, that's very important. And she is marketed in the Christian living section. Yeah. So she, her books are right next to the, in Barnes and Noble, right next to the shelf that has all the Bibles on them. Mm-hmm. So she isn't claiming at all. She, she's very clear that she's motivational speaker and she goes to conferences and speaks in on that level. She's not trying to only be a Christian, but it's um I found it really interesting. I searched for her in Barnes and Noble towards the front. You know, you have other kinds of books, mm-hmm. marketing and self-help and all those kinds of things. And I couldn't find her. She was at the very back in the Christian section. So that was really interesting to me. That is interesting. That's surprising. I wonder if yeah. that was I wonder if that was just because her book came out a few months ago or well, I guess it was last year at this point, one of them. Yeah, one of what there was a display of Girls Stop Apologizing up near the front, but right. then the category that they were in was at the back right. in the Christian section. So right. I thought that was curious. Yeah, and that's something people bring up a lot is that she does have a, a publisher that is a renowned Christian publisher, and so that, that kind of puts her in a category of other authors that a lot of people follow publishers, see, you know, are paying attention to what they're releasing or, you know, similar like authors are putting out. And so that does kind of put her into that category. I don't know if she wanted to be in that category or not, but 
she is either way. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I was just curious about that. I mean, I have no way of knowing. She And of course, she wouldn't say anything no. about her publisher. She probably, she loves her publisher. So, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was very curious about how that determination was made, but, and she is an agent, of course. So they thought about it. And so I, I think yeah. I'm not, I don't have anything to say about that one way or another. I just right, think it's right. interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. So how did she actually become popular? Because I think probably a lot of people, um, I know she's been around and actually has authored a whole entire other series years ago. She was an events manager, right? She was, uh, when she lived in LA, is that correct? Yes. She started a party planning company right? and that did very well. And so she did, she organized events and took on clients to handle their you know, their big dues in LA. And she did write a series of novels that she began by self-publishing. They were called mm-hmm. Party Girl. And then she was picked up by a publisher for those. So she is a writer. She writes prolifically in other genre, you know, novels and so on. And that was her fit. That's the thing she most wanted to do. Yeah. So yeah, she, she became, she was always very good. I think at marketing and then he really was able to figure out the use of social media in a way that was very successful for her. Yeah. She has a company and she has a, she's on Instagram and she has a QVC line of clothes and, and now she and her husband own their own it's called the Hollis company. Mm-hmm. So they do motivational speaking. I don't think she does party planning anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're very big into the entrepreneurial world, trying to give people advice and help about how to start companies and how to grow and how to get yeah. revenue and that kind of thing. Yeah. They're pretty genius business moguls. Yes. Honestly, very, very savvy. Very savvy. So let's talk about her main message and kind of what advice she puts out there through her books now, and, and we're going to focus on, you know, the, the latest two works, Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing, because that is really what people know her for. You know, I'm sure people loved the Party Girl series, but <laughs> I haven't read those. And I don't think that's where we find as much about her worldview. Or maybe you could argue that, I don't know if you've have, did you actually read those? No, I would, except I'm so backed up on my own fiction, fiction <laughs> reading list that yeah. I would me. have I don't to bump a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that would, that would be at the top of my list. No, I, I mean, there, I, I wrote them down, but whenever I have a chance to go to the library, I end up getting something that I was really, you know, have been wanting to read for a long time. So. <laughs> right, not, not a series called Party Girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's understandable. (laughs) We won't fault you for that. Okay. So what is her main message for those who have not read it? I'm guessing a lot of the people listening have read it. I read it. I actually got the audio book right when it came out. I have an audible account and you know, at the time I was less savvy to kind of what she was putting out there. I, I was following her on social media. Um, You know, I liked some of her quotes or some of her kind of go getter type attitude, you know, her running video, selfie running videos, like those are motivational. They're like aspirational. You, you know, she's very out there with putting pictures of herself, you know, and her mom body that she will talk about, like my stretch marks and all of that. Like she's, she's very transparent, I guess I would say. And so, or seemingly transparent anyways. And so I think I, I, before I really had any idea about 
her worldview. I was just following because it was just purely entertaining. Anyway, so I listened to the book kind of without a lot of necessarily like discernment going, what am I going to find? Like I wasn't sleuthing. I just was like, let's, you know, let's see what this is all about. And obviously learned pretty quickly what it was all about. But can you kind of give in your words what her main message is? So I I think she's really, and she's reacting to something that I think maybe a lot of us in the culture have seen, which is that there's a general sense of helplessness. You know, I just don't know how to organize my life. I don't know how to get off the couch. I'm really sad. I'm depressed. I don't know what to do. I'm not living the life I want to live. And I'm disappointed. And I'm stuck. And I think there's, you know, people talk about millennials a lot, but there's a sense that which the millennial generation thought they were going to live out a lot of things. And then it (laughs) turned out not to work out that well. And so I think she's talking to people who are frustrated and disappointed and her, so it's real simple message. You can decide to be happy. You can take control over your circumstances and you don't have to sit back and just be sad and anxious you can be the person you thought you were going to be, and then it isn't working out. You can take active steps. You have permission to take active steps to be a happier, more fulfilled person. So it's not a different message than we've heard you know, from a lot of different self-help mm-hmm. people over the years. But she's saying it in a way that really does encourage people to get up and do something. And, you know, not accept bad health and bad habits and misery as what life is all about. So that's her baseline. And insofar as it goes, I think it's very harmless. Of course, I mean, as I was reading the the both books, my life felt, you know, like, oh, man, I, I really do struggle to get out and take a walk every day. And there's no way I'm ever going to run a marathon. That idea (laughs) fills me with horror. So every time she used that as an example, I was really very sad. Um, (laughs) And I do tend to run towards depression. So, you know, there's, it's absolutely true that you don't, you can decide, you can make certain kinds of decisions that will improve your overall sense of well-being and happiness in life. And I think if that's where it ended, I think it would be fine. But I think she she ends up going into some real theological places that mm-hmm. I, that are not as are not helpful ultimately for a culture that needs God more than it needs happiness. Mm, yeah. So that's where it starts to get dicey for me as a Christian. But if you are really struggling to do anything in your life you know, and you, and you think it would be helpful to be both yelled at and have some cheerleading, mm-hmm. then I don't, I don't think you would be really harmed by doing her five for five, five to thrive, you know, getting up an hour earlier. There's five things she says you can do. If you do them for one month, you'll see real change in your life. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably true. Habit building is really important. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're getting at is important to recognize, like, it's not that every single thing she says is completely a lie and untrue and that we're, we can't abide any of the words coming out of her mouth. That's not the point, but it is more, you know, I think what, what indicates to me that there is a problem is that there, like you said, she does venture into the the theological arena when she answers the question, you know, what is the key to happiness and what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? And she does answer that question in a lot of different ways through those two books. And it's a lot of it is this idea of embracing the things that you want for yourself and then work going hard after those things. So it's, it's this idolization of our own desires. And she says that when you, value other people's expectations more than your own desires and you let their expectations dictate your actions, that means you are lost. So in a sense, she's saying like that the greatest, and I don't know if she would say this is the greatest evil, but it's positioned this way in her book. Lost is being dictated by other people's expectations. When in a biblical biblical worldview, we know that lost is the state we are in when we are born, you know, into sin. So it's actually has very little to do with other people's expectations. It's more the state that we find ourselves in as mankind. And then found for her would be not letting other people's expectations dictate what you do, but getting in touch with your desires and your passions, living those out, whatever they are. And there, and there's no gauge for finding out whether or not a passion or a desire for your life is good or bad or wrong or right. Like she doesn't get into that. That flies in the face of a biblical definition of lostness, which we find actually is just the state we are born into. You know, we are born into sin. And so in a biblical worldview, we are lost by default. It has nothing to do with other people's expectations or our own expectations or desires. It just has to do with the state of our soul, you know, as being born into the, in the, into a state of sin as a human. And so we understand that we are slaves to sin until we are freed through the saving blood of Christ. When we recognize, you know, we repent from our sin and turn to him and have his blood on our account. And so the definitions there of lost and found are very, very different. That's right. They're contrary even. She talks a lot about finding your potential, that, that you would be happy if you, could, if you examine yourself and your passions and you find out who you really are through that exa- self-examination and then you enact your potential, that will lead you to not only happiness in the near term in this life, but ultimate you know, happiness forever. (laughs) It'll be kind of a heavenly experience to become the person you were meant to be, which you find that out by dwelling on yourself and the things that you like and the things that you're good at. You really live into your own self to its fullest. And then you'll be happy. That's what God wants for you. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's completely contrary to the gospel. Yeah, you wrote an article called Rachel Hollis and the Geico Jesus, which I'd encourage everyone to read. I did dig that up though, and was just looking through it. And you talk about, you know, basically she says that the biggest issue we face as humans is untapped potential. 
that is our biggest problem. You know, it's not an issue of sin. It's not an issue of distance from a holy God because of our failure and inability to live up to his standards. It's just simply untapped potential. And you say, you know, what is it about this untapped potential, our potential, my potential, your potential? And you say, I don't have potential. I'm not sitting on some gold mine of untapped earning opportunity or a lot of fancy special thoughts that if I could just get them out onto the internet, the whole world would be amazed. I am a sinner. I am tired. I need help. I need saving. And um, I just wanted to quote that because I think that really gets to the core of what is wrong with that thinking of, of our biggest issue being our untapped potential. The burden of responsibility remains on our shoulders because we still have to, like you said, through self-examination, through self-knowledge, self-love, all of the self prefix words, Mm -hmm. discover what is it about myself that is like the best version of me? What do I really want out of life? And if I can just tap into that, and if I can then just work hard enough and try hard enough, I can achieve ultimate happiness. I can achieve, you know, almost like this, like utopia or this nirvana here on earth by living into all of those things. And you kind of just talked about that. Yeah, you'll you'll become truly happy if you can do that. Thing that was really interesting to me is I read both of the books and then kept. You know, I've watched a lot of video clips from her. I for a long time I've watched her daily sort of motivational moment. And what's interesting to me is that the the kinds of things that she herself always fixes on as living into your full potential are are all very temporally based. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot about money. There's a lot about how you look yep. and how you feel about how you look. There's a lot about balancing, you know, your career and your motherhood. There's a lot about living comfortably. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of those things aren't, are, certainly Jesus talks about some of them in the, in the New Testament, but the things that the Bible spends a lot of time on are the kinds of virtues and characters that would lead you closer to God and away from yourself, away from your passions. And so, and things that are focused outward towards other people, patience, forbearingness, kindness, love, even it's not self-love in the Bible, it's love of God. And then also the the outflow of that is for other people. And not you and how much stuff you get to have in this life. So her whole posture is really rooted in the here and now, mm-hmm. which is the first one of the, one of the many clues that it's not that Christian. Yeah. And then also the God, I've found it very, it's a kind of, it sounds great, but I think it's ultimately really unkind. The God would create you, with a fundamental lack in potential in that case, and that he would then wait for you to resolve that and, and, and deal with it. He would. And then once you did, he would congratulate you for dealing with it. So of course we do have a fundamental lack. We lack goodness. We lack holiness. We lack the ability to climb up and and be with God on our own power. We are full of lack. But the lack doesn't point to a potential. It points to our 
sin and our brokenness, our, our rebellion against God. And the only person who can supersede that is God himself. Yeah. So to the need for a savior. Exactly. That you're in a, a, a pit that you've dug for yourself. You cannot dig yourself yes. out of that pit. You right. need somebody to come along and drag you out. So it, it sounds kind, you know, you can do it, you can do it. But I think it's actually very cruel because you're going to work really, really hard. And in the end, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be with the one person who can fulfill you. And that's Jesus. Yeah. And that's even in a clip that I know you mentioned in that same article that is um, pretty hard to find, but I don't remember who was she being interviewed when she said that thing about we're going to go up to heaven and what God is going to do when he introduces us. That clip that it, that I wrote about in the Echo Jesus uh, was she was in a, she was on stage she was at a conference somebody had taken it on their phone mm-hmm. and I couldn't find it like it's not on YouTube so I transcribed the clip but then I've heard then uh, she in an interview with Ed Milet he says a very similar thing mm-hmm. uh, himself so I oh, quoted okay. that later um, he describes and she confirms this in her you know her talk on stage, but he describes living his life and chasing himself. He's chasing Mm -hmm. his ideal self. And when he dies, he hopes that he will have caught, he'll, he'll get to heaven and he'll meet the person that God intended him to be. And heaven will be that he recognizes that person. They are twins. They're exactly the same. That means that he did all the things in this life that he was meant to do. He earned all the money he ate all the food. He traveled to all the places. He looked amazing. He helped people. He did, you know, he was kind and charitable. Mm-hmm. And then hell would be if he didn't recognize that person. He would get there and he wouldn't recognize his ideal self whom God had created and kept in heaven. I was reminded of the, the language from Hebrews is a treasure kept in heaven for you. Uh, in that case, we're talking about Jesus in the temple. But in this case, in a sort of corrupted version of that, it's you, you're waiting in heaven for yourself. So you don't go there to meet God. You go there to meet your own ideal. Right. And what that reveals is that the savior up in heaven, the treasure kept for us is ourselves, our best self, our perfect self. And so, and that is what I think is the most dangerous piece of the theology of Rachel Hollis and where a lot of her otherwise, you know, harmless advice of, you know, wake up an hour early, this or that, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Like, great. Wake up, wake up early, do your workouts, write your goals down, goal map your life out, whatever you want to do. But if you think that at the end of the day, you're going to go up to heaven and heaven in itself is actually meeting your best self, and that that's who God's going to introduce you to. And that the person you could have been if you had lived into your full, full potential. And you're either going to be met with like, oh, satisfaction. I was that person. I see myself. Like I, I achieved. I did it. Hooray. Or, oh no, I failed. And then what? Like what that, I mean, that is one, absolutely contrary to the Bible. There's absolutely nothing in the Bible about that. <laughs> I don't think Rachel would even argue that that's in the Bible. That's just her own probably her own, you know, interpretation of what heaven must be like, because if you are your own savior, well, 
Yeah. I mean, you, you would be the one waiting for yourself in heaven, right? Your, your best, yeah. your best self would be waiting to congratulate you and say, well done, good and faithful servant, Rachel yeah. or Haley, yeah. you did it. You made it. You, you did it. You did yeah. everything that you could have. And you, you won. It's like, I, I literally picture like <laughs> Willy Wonka telling Charlie, congratulations, Charlie, you've done it. <laughs> you know. Like, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Here's your big chocolate bar. Yes. You, you, you passed the test, you know, you, because he was honest and he, and he didn't lie and he was full of no deceit and and all these things. That's like, then he's going to take him up through the roof in the little golden floating. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny because (laughs) it's it's so sad. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's really tragic. The only way to really be saved and really be happy in this life and the next is to get, is to lose consciousness of yourself to be unburdened of the burden of yourself. That's what, you know, when you take up Jesus's yoke, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's talking about the the thing that you lug around that's so exhausting is yourself and your own ego. And if you can let go of that for just a few minutes, Jesus can is strong enough to carry your ego over the finish line. And then when you get there, he, you're satisfied in him. He is Mm -hmm. your satisfaction. He's your joy. He he's, he's interesting enough to be with for eternity without getting bored. Whereas if it's you for eternity, you're going to get so bored. You're going to run all the marathons and then that's going to be it. And yeah, you have a long time to sit around and think about who you, your ideal self is. A lot of time to take care of those shin splints that you got. That's right, that you marathons. got from all the marathons. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's very bleak. And I think it's really a great burden that you're, you're tying up and putting on people's shoulders that they have to carry themselves through to everlasting life yeah. and be happy about it now too. Right. <laughs> I think, wow, people are really unhappy and telling them they can be happy. I mean, when people tell me that, that doesn't make me more happy. <laughs> yeah, that is, it does indicate the level of unhappiness and discontent that a lot of people must be living in when that sounds like your best bet. That sounds like your best Yeah, bet. that's it. That's what you've got to look forward to. So you obviously love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about launching your own? If so, you're going to want to listen up. I want to tell you about the It's Time for Your Podcast course coming soon from my friend Jeanette Tapley. Jeanette is the owner, operator, and podcast producing mastermind over at It's Time for Coffee, a podcast production company and podcast show. Jeanette loves to come alongside those who have the vision, heart, and the voice to start their podcast, but feel ill-equipped or intimidated by all the technical and logistical work it requires to make it a reality. In order to help and empower more women in their podcast journey, Jeanette will be launching the It's Time for Your Podcast course, a six-week course that will walk you through launching your very own podcast coming this September. She's going to take you from, I might start a podcast one day to airing your first episode before 2019 is even over to keep up with her show. Stay in the loop about this amazing course or for podcast tips and tricks. Make sure to follow her over on Instagram at Jeanette Tapley on the surface. Of course, it's not hard to see why that message 
is more popular and gains traction and ha- and really has spread like wildfire compared to that of the Bible, where in Galatians 2.20, we see, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's a message there of death and actually not simply laying your ego aside, but actually dying to your ego, dying to yourself, dying to... Mm-hmm those things that are are being offered up by, you know, the theology of Rachel Hollis as your greatest good, your highest good, your largest potential for happiness is just get more in touch with who you are, what you want, your passions, identify with those, work hard and achieve them. The Bible calls you to lay all that down (laughs) and it Mm -hmm. calls you to, to die to that. And so, it is not, you know, a sexier message, clearly. Um, and it's, it doesn't even sound attractive to our flesh, you know, even as believers, like there's, there's parts of us and parts of me daily that buck against that and go, I just want to do what I want, you know, or, or serving the kingdom of mom and wanting my kids to align with my desires for the day or, you know, you can break that down into just what it looks like. And that is our battle against the flesh and the fact that, you know, we are still being sanctified by Christ. So it's not hard to see why her message would be more attractive in the immediate. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, death is painful. There's no way around it. And you, you are, you're being asked to give up the one thing that matters most to you, which is yourself. Mm-hmm. So of course it's not fun and it's not popular and it's not really marketable. You know, I was trying to think of what, what would my Instagram feed look like if I was trying to market taking up my cross and following Jesus, we, we soften it by putting the sunsets in the background and, you know, doing some scrolly letters or, you know, adding a panda bear or whatever. (laughs) And, but there's no way to soften the cost of the kingdom of God, which is yourself. And so the, it's interesting that she would say the cost is also yourself, but it's you, embracing yourself in, into the next world. And you're, you can try, you can try to live into your potential, but when you get to heaven, you're not going to meet the ideal person that you, even, even if you do everything that you wanted to do, mm-hmm. there's still going to be such a great lack that you won't, you won't have succeeded. Right. Our righteousness as filthy rags. Yeah. The promise is too big and it's not, there's no, the potential isn't, can't be fulfilled. So it's, it's really tragic, I think. And I think we should, I don't know, we can do more self-help on Instagram. We can keep being there, but ultimately it means really clinging, clinging, clinging to Jesus and the church and really pouring yourself out in a painful way for the sake of others and the gospel, (laughs) it's not going to make you a million dollars on the New York Times bestseller list. It's just not going to happen. Right. No, it's not. And that's another thing is, you know, you mentioned in the article that I referred to earlier, how all of her stories and her examples in her book actually serve to show that her hard work worked. Yes. You don't ever see evidence of failure. You maybe, I mean, she'll let you in on maybe a few times there were disappointments or it didn't, but usually the disappointment is because she didn't work hard and she didn't have the strategy or the plan in place, or she wasn't using her 
start today journal or her hustle, you know, mentality, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like she says, I was looking at, I think this was something that she wrote on her own site that her start today journal. And like, I don't care if people use the journal or not, but this is just to help you understand some of her own thinking. It's a product created out of a practice I did for years. And that practice was born out of frustration. The worst part that was whenever I failed to achieve my goals or gave up again, I would mentally berate myself for not being able to achieve big things. It's only now that I understand that it wasn't that my goals were too big. It's that there were too many. So there, you know, the answer is just have fewer goals and focus on that one big goal that you want. Like you said, the 10, 10, one, mm-hmm. or no, you, did you say that? Or am I getting that somewhere else? I think I said five to thrive, but yeah, five she does thrive. 10, 10, one also. Yeah. And 10, 10, one. Can you, can you just briefly say what that is? You narrow down your goals. You may, and you, you could do the long game. Mm-hmm. So you can't have like everything. You can't run a marathon and write a bestseller. Right. You can ultimately, but you can't do it all at the same time. So right, then right. You, you break it down, you narrow it down and you do a 10 year kind of plan for yourself to get okay. to success. So, and you're right. The, the success is you don't, you don't have to fail. And if you do fail, it, it just leads you to, you know, greater success later on. Cause you learn from your mistakes, of yes. course. And I thought it was really interesting that she, that she didn't have to fail. <laughs> Cause I, I mean, failure is a big thing for me and yeah. I, I endure it all day long every day. And the main way that I fail is by being good. Like I, I can't be good. I can, you know, clean my kitchen yeah. all day long, but I'm sinning while I'm cleaning my kitchen. Right. So, right. but if you take goodness, if you take sort of deep holiness and goodness off the table, then of course you can succeed. You know, if your goal is to, you know, make a hundred calls to raise money for something, you can do that. You can make a hundred calls. So by taking fail, redefining failure so that it's not a Christian question, but if it's just goals, then you're, then you, you make it doable and you make it okay. And of course, that's what the Pharisees did when they added to the law. <laughs> so yeah. Redefine the law to make it doable, and then you're then you can call yourself holy and good. So, yeah, and of course that works as long as nobody else's goals get in the way of your goals. Yes, that works really well and is very nice and beautiful um, and attractive as long as no one gets in your way. And nobody, yes. and anybody who does get in your way, say your children or yes. your husband or <laughs> a friend who needs help or your mom who is sick and needs you to take care of her. The second that happens, well, you know, then what? Are they the enemy? Do your goals <laughs> now become secondary and you live not into your best self anymore and you have to live knowing you're a failure and that you'll see that less than version of yourself in heaven and be you know, and just be forever in agony because you didn't achieve that best version of you. Like what, what happens when real life happens or or you get sick or you get cancer or in any of the situations like that we face that are just life and this imperfect world and trials and difficulties. I just don't know how those play into it or, or what is your answer then? And, and is it just that you somehow magically avoid like is it like this law of attraction that when you like put positivity into the universe you get positivity back is it a prosperity gospel like well you just must not have enough faith you know or 
or I don't know, what is it? How do you explain that? I'm sure that there's a little hint of sort of word of faith. She doesn't say you can speak things into existence, but if you do concentrate on positive things, you will get a positive result. And so that includes, you're right, that includes cutting people out of your life who are negative and don't help you hit your goals. Mm -hmm. So she talked about in, I think it was Girls Stop Apologizing, like they cut some of their family out of their lives because they were just too mean and they were unkind and they couldn't deal. And they felt like that was, you know, that it was actually fine to just say, we're not having any contact with you, not friends, but people in our family, because you're not aligning with our overall goals as a family. So I thought that was really interesting and not like my whole life is lived in the church. My whole reality is centered around the church. There's no possible way that you can <laughs> come across somebody sitting in your church pew on Sunday and say, you know what? You're just too negative for me. You're not aligning with my goals yeah. for myself. Yeah. I need you not to come here anymore, or I'm not going to speak to you a coffee hour because you're not helping me on mm-hmm. my journey towards myself. That's so contrary to life lived with human people. You don't, yes. you don't cut people out. And of course there are exceptions for abuse and stuff like of that. Course. You have to be right. really careful and you don't have to let everybody into your life all the time. But in a general way, when your goals supersede everything else, yeah, you're going to end up with a, a pretty narrow existence on one hand, maybe less messy than for the rest of us who have to endure mm-hmm. with each other. But yeah, it, it, I don't know. Cause it's true. It doesn't work for everyone. Some people don't get to live to their, out their goals. Yeah. You know, all their positive thoughts mean that they still do have to walk 10 kilometers to get water in the morning and then mm-hmm. 10 kilometers back in the afternoon. And they can send positive thoughts into the, you know, world and their energy. But when they die in obscurity and unknown, are they outside of God's will? Does mm-hmm. he not care for them? Yeah. I would say actually quite the contrary. Those are the people that God knows about. And when eternity rolls around, we're going to be really surprised to see who is getting to sit next to Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. it wasn't you with your very expensive house and your marathon running. It's the person who who mm-hmm. devoted, who put his or her hand life into the hands of Jesus for forever. So it's a hard message when there are so many bad things going on in the world. You know. Everybody is going to die. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to get an illness. Everybody's going to have a failure. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to be miserable. And sin is (laughs) pervasive. It's systemic. It's our lot. You are going to fail. You know, I, I do all the time. So there has to be a better and a richer and a deeper answer to that than just try harder. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, you. What, what was it? Where did you title something? You said like the theology of Rachel Hollis. Have you considered trying harder? <laughs> that's something I, I stole that from uh, my friends have a, we, we, that's what we say to each other. <laughs> when you're on the internet and somebody and you're, you're complaining about your life and somebody yeah. comes on and says, um, well, have you thought about just waking up an hour earlier or, right, you know, right, right. I, when I'm sad, I just have my nanny, you know, or when I'm really stressed, I just have my nanny come with me on vacation. <laughs> so there's the just try harder and there's the just be richer. Just have you considered yeah. just having more money? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, I, you know, now I that you mention it, now that you yeah. mention it, I should have just woken up an hour earlier. I'm such um, an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So that that's absurd. That's absurd. Yeah. And it doesn't work because, you know, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and that's still not enough time for me to do all the things I need to do. Mm -hmm. I exercise and I eat properly, but I still get and occasionally ill. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I pour out myself for my kids, but, and I, I've devoted myself to their education and their well being, And I still can ruin their day as their mother, (laughs) you know, or I forget stuff that was a really critical right at the right moment is not from trying. I'm trying really hard and I'm still failing and thank speed of God that it doesn't matter because he organizes the universe and it's not my efforts at all that achieve um, his glory and his goodness. Yeah. Amen. That is, that's the truth. And gosh, like having, you know, talking about and thinking about and and kind of like rolling these ideas around in my brain, giving them space to exist for more than a split second makes the gospel that much sweeter to me because it is like, oh my Lord, I really need, like, if that, if that is my perspective on life, like, wow, I am doomed. You know, if, yes. if like that is just maybe the most depressing thought that it all depends on me yes. and that if I would only try harder and just, you know, wake up earlier, make more money, be more savvy, you know, be prettier, do my makeup better, wing my eyeliner more perfectly <laughs> that somehow, you know, I would be made right or I would be okay and mm-hmm. I would finally be happy and I would be, you know, and she doesn't use the language of salvation or redemption or sin, but that's the idea, you know, Mm -hmm. is that we are, there is something we need to be saved from. And the, the answer is always inside yourself. Mm -hmm. And, oh man, that's like, I mean, the language of happiness is really powerful. It's the language of our time. We are unhappy and we are desperate to be happy. And we, and we think that if we, if we could relieve the existential angst and sorrow that we feel now, maybe that will stretch out into eternity and we'll be okay forever. That's kind of, I think, where as a culturally, we just live there day by day. And it's, it's intensified by social media and by watching other people apparently being happy, which yeah. I think is why her social media use is so interesting. It's her very powerful platforming and her apparent happiness is so critical why people are going to listen to her because she is happy she she says she's happy she experiences happiness she she can show you how to do it and so you should listen to her Mm -hmm. whereas as a christian i know that happiness begins with unhappiness i my happiness is not god's primary concern Mm-hmm. He is he is sovereign over my temporal emotions, my temporal experiences. And if I put my day-by-day happiness into his hands, I will often feel sad. I will often be anxious. I will feel unsettled. I will be worried. I won't be able to organize everything the way that I think I should. My failures will seem to overwhelm me. And yet I have to trust him. The whole point is that I trust him Mm -hmm. so that I can be saved forever and I can experience his 
um, mercy, which ultimately leads to happiness. So she's dealing in, you know, it's right now, just, you know, just get yeah. out off the couch, get, but yeah. it stretches out to eternity in a really powerful way. Yeah. And I would, I would challenge anyone listening. If you're not sure how this really plays out, if you're not sure if this is really true, anything that we're saying, if you feel like we're making a big deal of any of this, just honestly, I hesitate to recommend this, but just go to her Instagram feed. I mean, just look at, look at the quotes that are shared, look at the images, look at the captions. And I will, I promise you at the center of every single one is you. That is at the center. Quote, you changed is a compliment. Okay. Confidence is the belief that you can count on yourself. Mm -hmm. Why having perspective is so important. Don't let life live you, live your life. How do you (laughs) deal with the haters? What happens when you really love your body? How do you balance real life and self-care? Why you should take care of yourself. Find your power in love. How do you deal with imposter syndrome? You can only focus on one goal at a time. I mean, I'm not even like, I've barely scrolled. I'm just reading across the little nine grid that is how you focused this mm-hmm. message, this platform is. And you guys, like, that is dangerous. That is, mm-hmm. it is not, we are not dealing, this is not child's play. It's not just, oh, it's just innocent, you know, it's not, it's just an inspirational quote. Come on, like, lighten up. I mean, well, maybe it is, but maybe it's actually the thing that you've decided to hook your hope on today. And if that's the case, like most people who are following and double tapping and, and looking for some encouragement or that boost to get through their afternoon or to get through a hard morning with your kids, like you're not going to find true hope here. You're not going to find sustaining it grace. You're not, you're, you're not going to, it's, it's very anti-grace, you know, this, mm-hmm. the, the hustle movement and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which, you know, I'm a big believer in hard work. I would never say you shouldn't work hard. I would never say you shouldn't try your best, of course, like in whatever you do, like do pursue excellence. But I don't, I cannot be at the center of my universe or it collapses in on itself because I can't Mm -hmm. bear the weight. I can't hold the weight of it. And so, I mean, just looking at this, you know, it's kind of funny. There's even a, uh, there was one picture of her that was a little less than attractive. So I clicked on it and it was a video of her in the middle of a climb up a mountain at Snow Basin, <laughs> which I believe is in Colorado. And, or no, that's A Basin. So I don't know where Snow Basin is. Anyways, and she's taking a video of herself in the in a tent that's in the middle of the climb. And she's saying, and the point is the middle is hard. The middle sucks. The middle is the thing you rarely see on social media. So we were saying earlier, you know, she only shares her her accomplishments. Well, even in her quote unquote failure video, she's still doing a climb up a mountain, which I'm sorry, but it serves to still make me feel less than, you know, yeah. and, um, and still like, well, okay, cool. You failed on your 14 er hike up a, a freaking mountain. Well, I failed at delivering, you know, the peanut butter covered banana without snapping at my child. So, yeah. you yeah. know, it's like, I think, I feel like we're in different levels here, but <laughs> I know I failed to, you know, I failed to really get through my day yesterday, I collapsed back and I worked really hard. And then I didn't complete like even some of the basic things that you're supposed to do every day. Yeah. Yeah, There's no mountain. My mountain is, can I get up in the morning? Sometimes I, you know, for several years I had an illness and I, I had to pray. I begged God to help me get up every morning. And he did. And a lot of the mornings, I was really angry that he did that because I would have really rather stayed in bed, actually. Right. But he 
rousted me and got me up and got me through the day. And those days were filled with failure Mm. uh, in human terms, but they were full of the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. If your failure is just another stepping stone for a greater mountain, you know, and another and better picture on Instagram, you're trying too hard. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, You're it's doing the never-ending cycle, never-ending yeah. cycle. You'll never find enough. You'll, I mean, just plan on being on Instagram until you are dying in your hospital bed because it will never have been enough. You yes, will still be. Exactly. And at some point we start to go downhill and that's going to stop feeling like as good of an option. And then what, <laughs> you know, when you yeah. can't get those, like that accolades and the likes and the yeah. uh, adrenaline and the endorphin surge that you get from, you know, from an encouraging and inspiring people. What about when you're not inspirational, <laughs> you know, yeah. does yeah. a day ever exist where you might actually not be the biggest inspiration or do you just stay silent on those days and just disappear and, And then, you know, the whole premise of your success is actually just like a shell and it's actually Mm -hmm. a lie, you know, and you would know it because you would know you were staying invisible. What if, what about in the days when you, this is where if you're, if it's about your pursuing your dreams, what about the days when you really sin against someone? And so I think that that doesn't ever come into play. You don't ever have to consider the days when you sinned against somebody in your life. You did something that was ugly and unkind. And you are either going to double down on that and and carry it with you and say it was, you know, they deserved it. You're going to redefine it as if it was a, it was actually fine. Or you're going to retreat and just break a relationship with that person because you, you know, you really hurt them. Right. It doesn't fit within the framework. Right. So you don't, all of those kind of the complexity of human relationships of sinning against yourself and other people and God, none of that is on the table. And those are where I think that's where the specter of human failure really is. It's in sin. Mm -hmm. It's in actively doing unkind and terrible things to people that, ought not be forgiven, but then somebody forgives you and then you can get up and go forward. And then you have to do that for somebody else. That's not there. There's no, you know, there's no way that she hasn't sinned against her children and her husband. Right. Right. Cause yeah, I I do it every day and and yeah, we all are. Right. So how do you like, what do you do with that? You Mm -hmm. know, you're not going to cut off your children, hopefully, but maybe you will eventually. Are you going to be able to forgive yourself if you've stopped apologizing for who you are? <laughs> right, right. You're kind of backed yourself into a corner. So, man, it's just yeah. it is it's heavy and and it mm-hmm. is tragic, like you said before. And I think I I hope that all of the people putting their hope in the the Rachel Hollis theology and isms and, you know, you centric universe are, I I hope they're never disappointed because, you know, at the moment that Rachel fails, let's say, or her marriage fails, or she fails as a mother, or, you know, she doesn't, or or that next book doesn't hit the bestsellers list. Like the, the moment any of those things happen, the universe ceases to exist as you know it, it breaks Mm -hmm. and there, Mm -hmm. there's a tear in the fabric and it lets, Mm -hmm 
you know, and it, and it lets the outside pollutants of reality in and, and you'll see it collapse. And so for anyone that mm-hmm. is living their life that way, you know, it's like the pressure is on you to live a perfect life and mm-hmm. I guess also die a perfect death and basically just do all the things Jesus did for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't, there's no other option. There isn't, yeah. there's no other option. And so mm-hmm. it's a tragedy and it's, it's not biblical, I, I would say, you know, to the person who's like, well, you know, what about just chew the meat, spit out the bones? You know, I would, I would argue, is the meat worth the cost of admission? <laughs> and mm-hmm. at what point does that meat just become poison? Because mm-hmm. it has been tainted and polluted by bones that couldn't even support it, you know? And so mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I don't know what your, your final, final, any final thoughts there? Well, I think for me, the Christian life is really balanced, interesting, nuanced thing. It is a, it's a, a going back and forth between trying really hard to follow Jesus and seeing slow progress as you as you go towards Him and you love God more and more and more. You do experience some sure you can experience some temporal happiness. You can you cannot fail at everything. You can succeed at a couple of things, mm-hmm. but the measure as you go along is the more you go towards Jesus, the less you're even thinking about yourself, the less you're interested in your ideal self in heaven who's waiting there for you more and more. You just are really interested in, in God and his glory and who he is and what he's doing. And, and in other people, other people are fast, become fascinating. So I think that, you know, if you've started out with Rachel Hollis, I mean, my prayer would be that you would get bored and move to the New Testament (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, really think about what it means to be happy. What would happiness really look like? Who, who are you? Who is God for real? What are you going to do when everything goes wrong? And if you can find a mercy and grace in Jesus, you're going to be so much happier in in forever than you will be if you wash your face. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I think that's a a great place to end. Thank you, Anne, for just talking through some of this with me and going down the deep, dark hole of a you-centric universe. But uh, if listeners want to connect with you, read more of your writing, follow you, where can they find you online? I blog most almost every day at Patheos. Preventing Grace is the name of my blog, mm-hmm. which you should read the what that means. It doesn't mean I'm actually trying to prevent grace. It mm-hmm. means that God's grace goes before us. So that's mainly where I hang out and I write for some other publications too, but and I'm on Facebook and Instagram and <laughs> So R-E-V-A-N-N-E-K is my Instagram, and then I'm on Twitter, too. But, yeah, my blog is where I am writing every day. Okay, perfect. So, all right. Well, thank you, Anne. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and share some of what you learned with us. So, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, it was. You guys, thank you so much for listening today. I know that was a lot to digest. And if this whole process of dissecting and understanding the worldview behind someone's words is new to you, I just want to say I'm in the same boat with you. Now, I have been studying worldview since high school because I took a four-year course that helped me learn how to start to do that. But as an adult, I am relearning how to do that with the messages that I'm coming across today. 
So I want to say that I'm committed to helping other women like me who are moms, who are busy, who are running businesses or making lunches and just trying to get through everyday life, understand how to actually look at what the world is preaching and what even self-proclaimed Christians are saying and assess whether those things are true or false in light of scripture, in light of God's word, and in light of the gospel. And I know that can feel really daunting and overwhelming and like, where do we even begin? But I promise you. This is something I'm really committed to and um, excited to be able to provide some resources, some education, and people who frankly know way more than I do about it. So you can look forward to more episodes like this one and ones that will actually help both of us, help you and I learn how to do this ourselves so that it's not just that you're going to come to Kindled for an episode on every given influencer who might not be really speaking the truth from their platform, but rather you can be given the tools to do that yourself. So that's my heart. This is kind of um, a new pursuit of mine, I guess, in terms of really seeking to learn and grow in this area. And it's something that I'm going to be bringing into the show. So I hope you're excited about that as much as I am. And uh, yeah, as always, if you have 30 seconds, I would be so appreciative if you would screenshot this episode and share it in your social media. You can also leave us an iTunes review or subscribe to the show. And if you really like Kindled, just go ahead and do all three. Thank you guys so much. Your support is the most sustainable way that this show is growing every single week. So I want you to know that I see you and I see the things that you're sharing on social media and posting on your reviews. And it is so, so encouraging to me. Have a great week and I'll see you guys next Monday.